Welcome to the Brain Science Podcast with Dr. Ginger Campbell. The goal of this show is to share discoveries from neuroscience with everyone who has a brain. Due to circumstances beyond my control, the next new episode of the Brain Science Podcast will be delayed until sometime in September. But I'm posting this brief announcement both to keep you informed and also to address a few issues that need clarification. Most of this information is intended for both new and long-term listeners. First, as some of you know, my husband, Dr. Dennis Smith, died unexpectedly on July 25, 2015. We had been married for 38 years, but we never had children. We do have three dogs, but this is really the first time I've ever lived alone. I'm grateful for the support of my friends and family, and I appreciate all the notes I've received from listeners from around the world. I just posted a special episode of my Books and Ideas podcast, and based on the feedback I have gotten, I'm going to include the contents of that episode at the end of this announcement. If you've already listened to episode 58 of Books and Ideas, feel free to skip to the end when you reach that section. I have lots of wonderful brain science content planned for later this year, but right now I'm a little overwhelmed dealing with all the changes in my life. Even so, I do hope to post another brain science podcast before the end of September. I actually posted episode 121 just a few days after Dennis died. Unfortunately, there were some major problems with the sound that neither I nor Lori were able to appreciate during the editing process. I want to thank those of you who took the time to let me know that there was a problem, but I also want to thank longtime listener Jeff King who took the time to remaster the sound for this episode. It's still less than perfect, but I think it's much improved. So if you had trouble hearing episode 121, please go back and download the new version. To be sure you have the final version, make sure the file you get has capital J, capital K, dot MP3 at the end of its name. Many of you probably got the bad version automatically. So if you haven't listened to the episode yet, delete the old version and download the new version. If you usually stream, you should get the new version automatically. But let me know if there are any more problems. Next, I need to talk a little bit about a few of the upcoming changes in the premium subscription. From now on, no more episodes will go behind the paywall. The first six years of the Brain Science Podcast, with the exception of a few free review episodes, will continue to be premium. But from episode 93 forward, the audio content is free, while all the episode transcripts are premium. But if you're on the website where you can see premium content, you will see premium versions of the same episodes that are labeled premium version with transcript. The transcripts are no longer listed as separate content. If you're in the mobile app, you will find the transcripts in the premium version under extra. While if you're in a browser, you'll see them listed right under the audio file. The reason that I have uploaded premium versions of the episodes that you can get for free is that in the next few months, I'm hoping to add more advertising to the free episodes. But the premium versions will not have any advertising beyond the monthly Audible recommendation. 
In the short term, the only difference you will notice is the disappearance of the promo for the free mobile app. But as new advertisers are added, premium subscribers will have the option of avoiding these ads. Another thing that I want to announce is that I'm going to change the name of this show from the Brain Science Podcast to Brain Science with Ginger Campbell, MD. The first place you will see this is in the graphics, first in iTunes and then later on on the website and other places around the internet. We'll probably use the names interchangeably in the next few months. There are a couple of reasons for this change. First, when I launched back in 2006, it was pretty standard to include podcast in the name of your show, but that's no longer the case. More importantly, I want to make the show more attractive to other outlets like radio stations. Actually, it should end up with less confusion because a lot of times the name of the show gets given out as wrong. People call it brain science anyway and leave out podcasts. So I think it will actually be an improvement. The URL for the website will continue to be brainsciencepodcast.com. That's it for new information. Before I close with my memories of Dennis, I want to offer some brief guidance to new listeners. The Brain Science Podcast is aimed at listeners of all backgrounds, but you will notice that some episodes are more technical than others. This is because the listening audience of the Brain Science Podcast is very diverse, ranging from people with no science background to those with PhDs. My advice is to try to listen to all the episodes, but it's okay if you want to pick and choose. I will always tell you if an episode is going to be particularly technical. I will tell you this at the beginning, but I can tell you that most listeners enjoy all the episodes because we try to make sure that there is some take-home point, no matter what your level of experience. Now, if you're a student and you're using the Brain Science Podcast to jumpstart your neuroscience knowledge base, I strongly urge you to go back to the first couple years of the show, especially the first year, which is episode 1 through 27. Premium subscribers have unlimited access to the entire back catalog. But if you're on a tight budget, you can sign up for one month, which is only five bucks, download everything, and then cancel. Unfortunately, it's not yet possible to sign up with PayPal, but Lipson says that that is coming soon. If you want to learn more about how the premium subscription works, just go to brainsciencepodcast.com forward slash premium. The easiest way to consume premium content is via the free Brain Science mobile app, which is available for iOS, Android, and Windows phones and tablets. But you can also access it via any web browser. The only annoying thing is that the premium content doesn't appear in iTunes or other podcast apps, which is why the Brain Science app is so handy if you are listening on a mobile device. But whether you listen via mobile or browser, you always have the option of downloading or streaming, whichever works best for you. If you have more questions, please check out the FAQ page on the website brainsciencepodcast.com or email me at brainsciencepodcast at gmail.com. That's it for my announcements about the Brain Science Podcast. I hope you will enjoy sharing some of my memories of Dennis, and I hope to be back with you again very soon. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome to Books and Ideas. I'm your host, Dr. Ginger Campbell, and this is episode 58. Before I get started, I want to thank my sponsor, Audible.com. Audible is the world's leading provider of downloadable audio with books and other content in a wide variety of genres. If you haven't tried it yet, you can get a free audiobook download by going to audiblepodcast.com forward slash books and ideas. This is not the episode that I was planning, and I promised to bring you Anthony Shamero's interview within the next month or so. Today's episode is dedicated to my husband, Dennis Gerald Smith, who died unexpectedly on July 25, 2015. We had been married for 38 years, and since we didn't have children, one reason I'm recording this episode is to leave him a legacy. First, I want to thank all of you who have sent me your condolences and well wishes. This has meant more to me than I can put into words. But this episode is not about Dennis's death. It's about his life, and in particular, I want to celebrate our life together. This episode is for friends, family, and long-term listeners. If you are new to my work, feel free to skip this episode and go back and listen to one of my earlier episodes. Like I said, I hope to get back with a regular episode before the end of next month. Dennis Smith was born in Birmingham, Alabama in 1946, at the very beginning of the baby boom. Both of his parents served in World War II. I think his mother was a whack in the Army, and his father served with the Navy in the South Pacific. He was their only child. Dennis came of age in Birmingham during the height of the Civil Rights Movement. He told me stories about things like when, in 1964, the city of Birmingham closed all the municipal pools just to avoid integrating them, and how he decided never to go to the Baptist church again because of its opposition to integration. After graduating high school in 1964, Dennis spent one semester at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa before coming back to Birmingham, where he graduated from the University of Alabama at Birmingham with a degree in engineering. He was in UAB's first graduating class in 1968. He was planning to study biomedical engineering at Northwestern, but Nixon ended the draft deferments for graduate students, so he joined the Air Force as an engineer. He was stationed at the National Security Agency until his honorable discharge in 1972. When he came home, he was able to go to graduate school on the GI Bill. And after earning his master's at UAB, he moved to Atlanta to work on his Ph.D. in engineering at Georgia Tech. Fortunately for me, he hated Georgia Tech, so he left after only one quarter. That's how he ended up at the University of Alabama in Huntsville, UAH, which is where I had just begun my undergraduate work in engineering. We actually met in the summer of 1975 when I was 19 and he was 28. It was the first real class he ever taught that is not a lab. It was computer programming and the language was Fortran. Most of you are probably too young to remember Fortran, but it was the key scientific programming language and part of what helped us put man on the moon. That fall, I got a job at a lab at UAH, and I was 
so naive that I didn't realize that Dennis was hanging around the lab because he was interested in me. I thought he was just bored. In the spring of 1976, he asked me to play tennis, and as they say, the rest is history. Now, Dennis didn't actually know how to play tennis, but he was a great natural athlete. So he went, he basically taught himself with a book and a wall, hitting lots of balls against a department store wall. Back in those days, almost everything was closed on Sundays. So you could go to the parking lot of a shopping center and hit tennis balls off the wall. You couldn't do that now. So the reason we were playing tennis was because I was a Jehovah's Witness, and I was not supposed to date anybody that wasn't a Jehovah's Witness, and so this was kind of a way to get around the prohibition on dating. However, one day I suddenly realized that I had fallen in love. I was playing in a small spring fling tournament, and the weather was really cold and windy, a typical April day, and there was no one there watching the match except for Dennis, and I realized I did not want him to leave. So I knew that I was in love. Needless to say, we had a stormy courtship because every time we would get engaged, my mother would talk me out of it because she'd say, you know, you're not supposed to marry somebody who's not a Jehovah's Witness. Finally, after several months, her father died and she went to New Jersey. And while she was gone, we finally got engaged for good. To be honest, I decided that I wasn't waiting for God to send somebody better because it is not that easy to find a man who loves you for just the person you are and doesn't seem to be wanting to change you into somebody else. We got married on January 7th, 1977. We actually tried to elope a few days before that because it started to snow and Dennis was afraid that our Friday wedding would be delayed. So he talked me into going to the courthouse. We got in the car and his apartment was on a hill and we had the small fender bender trying to go down the hill. So we never made it to the courthouse. Fortunately, it stopped snowing and we got married on schedule. This was one of Dennis's favorite stories for many years, and it actually kept us from getting our car, you know, soaked or messed with in any way, since people felt sorry for the fact that we already had a wrecked car. The first part of our marriage, which I would describe as from about 77 to 79, was the usual newlywed stuff. We had to move, we moved to Birmingham from Huntsville so that Dennis could begin teaching at UAB, and While he was accepting of the fact that I was a Jehovah's Witness and didn't push to get me to leave, he kept giving me stuff about evolution because Jehovah's Witnesses are a creationist group. And I finally realized that science for evolution, and this was 1979, even back then, the science for evolution was very strong. And I finally realized that Jehovah's Witnesses were distorting the information That was the beginning of my getting out of that organization, which I did in 1979. It was shortly after that that I also decided to go to medical school. For the last few years of his life, Dennis often said that the 80s were his favorite decade. That would have been the time when he was in his mid-30s to early 40s. He loved the music. He liked the movies. His work was rewarding. He was building the electrical engineering department at UAB. 
and we were both deeply involved together with my return to softball, which had been my first love before I got in Jehovah's Witnesses. We spent all of our free time playing softball, either practicing, he hit me endless fly balls, ground balls, pitched batting practice, spent hours and hours sitting in uncomfortable bleachers watching me play in marathon tournaments. And for the most part, he really loved that, and he told me so. But that came to an end in 1987 when I had my first hip replacement. And I didn't realize for a long time that this had a really big effect on him. In fact, in some ways, I think it affected him more than it affected me. Between 87 and 92, we tried to shift our energies over to playing golf together, but it just wasn't the same because I didn't really like golf, and also he sort of had a temper on the golf course, and sometimes he would do things that were embarrassing, like one time when he threw his entire bag of clubs into a creek. I think that the 90s was the decade that tested our relationship. I call it my new age period. I was trying to find a passion beyond sports, and I was into some stuff that he really wasn't interested in, although he was as supportive as ever, allowing me to travel many times to California to do various things. Around the middle of the 90s, we made the final decision not to have children, and I think it's fair to say that we had no regrets about this. One of the things that made the 90s frustrating for Dennis was that In his job at UAB, the emphasis was switching from teaching to pressuring faculty to bring in research money. Now, since Dennis was one of those rare people who actually got a PhD because he loved teaching, he found this very frustrating. After I had my second hip replacement in 1992, we did start playing some tennis together, and we did that quite a bit, but as time went on and I became more competitive, he played less and less. And in late 2001, I started having trouble with my hip again and had to quit playing. In August of 2001, we did take a trip to Mammoth, California and visited Yosemite National Park. And he was really proud of the fact that he was in good shape and was able to enjoy hiking. I think the only time he ever traveled or at least flew after 9-11 was maybe one time after that. In 2002, I had to have another hip replacement, and Dennis never told me at the time how hard this was on him, both physically and emotionally. He started to look forward to retirement. In 2005, when I decided that I was going to start playing tennis again, we went out and hit once or twice, but then it became clear that he was really not able to tolerate this anymore. I thought at the time it was just because he hadn't been exercising and was overweight. In 2007, Dennis retired after 30 years of teaching at UAB. He was very proud of the many students he taught, and I don't want to mention any names because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings by leaving them out. He enjoyed hearing from former students right until the end, and if there are any students that are out there, I would love to hear from you. Dennis did enjoy his retirement. He enjoyed video games, especially Halo. He enjoyed doing things on the computer, which is not surprising since he built one of the original PCs early on in his career. He liked to find things on Google like old friends and even celebrities from his youth. He used to say he could find anything on Google, and he was very proud of that ability. 
He enjoyed crosswords and other puzzles, and he had a daily routine that also included going to the grocery store every day. When he got his first iPad, he rediscovered his love of reading. But he was disappointed that he couldn't play golf because it bothered his back. And as time went on, he was less and less active. It wasn't really until the last year or so that he revealed to me that he was having problems with exercise tolerance. I could never get him to go to his heart, get his heart checked out. Both of his parents died in their early 70s, and for some reason, he was convinced that all the doctors could do was make him worse. I never nagged him to go to the doctor, but I think his sudden death is a powerful reminder why you don't want a family member to be your doctor. It's very hard to recognize the warning signs in someone you're close to. For most of the last 10 years, I thought he was, his growing frailty was due to inactivity. Now I know it was much more complicated than that. But he is, has certainly given me a warning example of why it is essential to, be, to remain very physically active as you get older. He was mentally active, but not physically active. Both are essential to healthy aging. When I started podcasting in late 2006, Dennis was still teaching full-time, but he always made time to listen to each new episode. I think he considered it his job to catch embarrassing mistakes before they went out into the world. When Lori Wilson started doing my transcripts in early 2009, he gradually got out of the habit of listening. At the time of his death, the only podcast Dennis listened to was the Dusted podcast about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and he was even giving them money via Patreon. But even though he didn't listen to my shows, Dennis supported me in every other possible way. For one thing, he never stopped telling me he was proud of my achievements. About a month ago, we attended a graduation event for my palliative medicine fellowship, and afterward he said, you never cease to amaze me. A few days before he died, he said something to the effect that he knew I was going to be okay when he was gone. In retrospect, this seems rather ominous, but it didn't at the time because we had often talked about the fact that I was likely to outlive him, and he had done everything he could to leave me everything I would need, which is a constant reminder of his love. Since Dennis did not have a public funeral, I need to mention a couple of things. First, anyone who wants to make a gift in his memory is asked to give it to German Shepherd Rescue of Central Alabama. I will have a link to this in the show notes, as well as a link to his online obituary, where you can leave a note in the guest book. Dennis asked me to spread his ashes on the lake at UAH. I am hoping to invite a few friends from our UAH days. But anyone else who wants to come just needs to email me at docartemis at gmail.com. I'm not sure when this will occur. So if you're listening to this show before the end of September 2015, feel free to write to me. Before I close, I want to again thank those of you who have sent me your condolences and well wishes. I hope you will keep listening to my podcasts since knowing that you are out there really does help keep me going. Thanks again for listening. I'll be back with you again soon. Mm-hmm.